The NAESP Principal Podcast is sponsored by the National Association of Elementary School Principals, supporting our nation's leaders from preschool through eighth grade. Whether you're looking to develop your professional learning network, extra liability coverage at a fraction of the cost, or you want to level up your professional development, NAESP has you covered. All right. Hello, principals, and welcome to the NAESP Principal Podcast. My name is Rachel George. I'm an elementary principal in Oregon and an NAESP fellow. And what's up, everyone? My name is Adam Welcome. I'm an elementary principal in California and also, luckily enough, to be a fellow with NASP and Rachel in the Innovation Center. And we're super excited to chat with you all today. Awesome. Whoop, whoop. So, uh, hey, we're going to be diving into some interesting topics. So we're going to be talking about how we finish out the rest of the year, thinking to next year, and then also holy moly, what to do with some of our kindergartners and first graders that maybe didn't attend school this year. So some great stuff. And Adam and I are just excited to jump in. Yeah, hundred percent. This is a new version of the podcast. Usually we've had a guest and you and I talk, but today it's, it's just us, which we thought would be kind of fun and just kind of a new, a new twist. So let's kick it off. Rachel, what do you do about kids that are coming in kindergarten or first grade and their parents held them out. I know we were talking before the show, kindergarten is optional. I know in California, you said in Oregon, I'm not sure if that's a, 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 a national thing, but I remember parents bringing their kids in a normal year and they'd never been to kindergarten, never been to preschool. So what do we do? No, that's a huge, huge question that we've been wrestling with. In our state, um, in Oregon, we have a huge percentage of families that didn't have their kids attend kindergarten. So now we're trying to figure out, okay, so they're like six, maybe they didn't go to preschool, they didn't go to kindergarten. They've quote, been homeschooling, which can be variable. Do they go into kindergarten and just be older or do they go into first grade and be with same age peers? But I don't know about you, but like our kindergarten now is really like the the new first grade. So back in the day, it was, um, I love it. Just in case you're listening with us and you heard that wonderful bark in the back, that is Adam's new dog, Blue. Blue is joining us live too, which is fantastic. He's going to give probably a shout out throughout. <laughs> Blue is here. Blue is a 14 week old golden retriever from Oregon. He's uh, we got him from Klamath Falls and he likes to make appearances on the podcast. And you know, going back to the actual question that we're talking about, I find this question so important. And then I remember back to my early days as a principal and where I was, there was, there was like board policy that the parents actually had choice. We couldn't make a family put their kid in kinder or first. And I know I've talked to kind of like holding a student back. We never wanted to hold a student back if the family wasn't on board. And I know in other states, I've talked to principals and they'll say, oh no, I told that family that this child is being held back, which blows my mind because people just have, I would guess, more say in, uh, in California. And we know every state's a little bit different. And I think, I think that's one of those things, honestly, Rachel, that is super important, but I just don't know what we as leaders can do about that. I would say, they're like a child that has never been in preschool. We're going to come in and we're going to do intervention or we're going to assess or we're going to provide extra support or small group work. I mean, the teachers are going to differentiate like they always would. And yes, there may be more 
of those kinds of students this year than like in a quote unquote normal year, even though I don't think anything's going to be normal anymore moving forward. Um, and I also think too, like I'm all about a planning, but I, I also think too, if we anticipate too much, maybe we get ourselves in trouble. Maybe we have to just wait and see where those kids are. I mean, we talked about learning loss in another episode. And uh, I mean, how do we really know that kids have lost learning? Because teachers have been teaching all year long. And I know plenty of first grade teachers that have taught virtual all year. And they tell me our kids are making progress and they're learning how to read. So uh, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts about that? You know, this is where it's hard because I see it from both angles. Like I see where our baseline and our starting spot is kindergarten. And so I think that that sets it up for success when you go through, but also a linear fashion and that sequence isn't always what a student needs. And I think that the family has really great insight about what the kid needs, where they're at and, and that moving forward step process procedure, whatever you wanna call it. And I think that we need to listen to the families. You know, again, it's not mandatory. I think we're setting some limited beliefs on the student if, if we totally block them into one or the other. So it's going to be fascinating with the families to see what their thoughts are. Like, do you want them to go into kindergarten? Do you want them to go into first? Pros and cons to each, right? There truly are. Um, and I think you're spot on that we're going to have to do some scaffolding regardless of whatever situation we're in or some extensions, you know, it's really hard to predict what the long-term impacts are. And just like you're, you guys are going to hear in some upcoming episodes with Liz garden, students are going to be okay. They're resilient. They're going to be able to make it through. I'm just in, in like, I just can't make my mind up. I don't, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, I also think too, it's also, it's also too early to tell kind of like what I said before Obviously, we want to hold if the district or the school recommends, you know, retaining a student or keeping them in a grade level. We want to do that as early as possible. But mm -hmm. if they're in second grade, I don't think that's too late. So I want to see where they are after one year of kindergarten or if they didn't go to kindergarten and they come right into first grade where they are after a year of first grade, because we also know too, kids make such explosive growth. We've had kids that we were very concerned about in August, September, October, November. And then by March and April, the teacher's like, no, they're at grade level. We're good to go. So some of it is just wait and see. And like, we got to look at these interventions. And I think that's where I go back to, let's not anticipate, let, let's talk about it and think about it, but let's not anticipate and plan too much. Um, and I have seen teachers, I want to retain half my class mm. in like November. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like they're, they're, they're six or seven. And then by the end of the year, it's like, oh no, they're all good. And some of that is just the teacher. I mean, we know, we know, we know people and their personalities sometimes, but uh, it's like blue blue is 14 weeks old and he's still chewing on things. And then hopefully three months, he won't be chewing, chewing on furniture anymore. Puppies and children, they make explosive growth. Right, blue, right. Blue definitely agrees with that, hands down. And you know, it makes me think back to Hattie's work. You know, the effect size of grade retention isn't super hot. There's not a lot of positive impact that it has on student achievement in the long run. So that's another aspect I just keep looping back to of, you know, what's the long-term outcome? What are we hoping to get? 
So, and you know, do you think gender plays a role with this? I've always heard that saying, like, if it's a boy in their August birthday or they're a young one, hold it back. And, you know, didn't Malcolm Gladwell talk about that in the book Outliers? I know you're a big reader um, where they talk about like the success of males with sports and even with academics. Like, I think, wasn't there like a Canadian hockey team that was just killing it. And the reason they were just doing awesome was because they were older for their age group. They were in that upper bracket. So what do you think? Does it matter? Yeah, no, we've definitely seen, um, I know in my experience, uh, boys mature later. I have an older daughter and a younger boy, 10 and eight. And my daughter, my wife and I feel that she's more mature uh, than my son was at his age. So, um, and obviously every family is a little bit different, but I definitely think there is, there is something to do that. So to that. So um, yeah, I think this, like I said, talk about it, maybe have some plans. Don't anticipate too much. Make sure you have those interventions. Talk to the family. What did you do at home during the hybrid and the distance? And then, uh, and then just kind of go from there and see, uh, and see what happens. So I like that. You want to move on to the, to the next topic? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, it kind of ties in with how make a plan, but have a loose plan and have some ideas. It is, there's so many standards, right. To cover. And we're in the final months of school and depending on your pacing, my guess is that you probably haven't got through all that you normally expect to by this time of year. So what do you do about that? So Adam, I'm sure you guys have talked about this in your building. What have some of those conversations sounded like? Yeah, it's uh, it's prioritize. And based off those prioritizations, go and uh, go and teach what you feel is best. And I think one of those conversations has to include an articulation conversation with the grade level above you or the middle school or the high school, because that's just being transparent. Hey, in California, we've been distance learning all year long. Just uh, just this month, we are going to have uh, kids back, only half of our kids, and it's only a modified modified day. It's not even a full day. So it's, hey, I teach first grade. Hey, second grade teachers, this is where we are. What do you think? This is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And it really, it's, it is a conversation because to try to open their mouths and shove everything down, as we know, that does not work. It's not going to be effective. I'd rather focus on three to five things really, really well, bring in some project-based learning. So I'm not just teaching one standard at a time and uh, yeah. And then just finish the year strong. And then obviously recommend activities or any kind of work that the kids can do over summer. If it's just reading or doing a collage of pictures and writing or some type of activity. I know a lot of districts I've heard are offering um, summer school and way more summer school than they would normally offer. So if that is a good fit for the student and we think they would benefit and the teachers aren't too burned out and you can find teachers to actually teach summer school this summer, which I think is going to be a challenge for a lot of places. Those are the conversations that we're having in my building. And I would, uh, I would just recommend people, uh, people have, what are you, uh, what are your thoughts up in Oregon, Rach? Oh, super similar. Um, and you know, I'd say that these are practices that are even great to use, not in a pandemic year. They're just best practices, like asking the grade level ahead. What would you like to see kids enter with? I think that's going to narrow down your standards considerably. I think you and I both would agree that standards aren't all created equal. There's a bunch of them in there. Even if you were to teach bell to bell, like for 24 hours a day, that's not even possible. But if you tried, um, you wouldn't cover them all. And there's some that are just 
minor supporting ones that you can get away with not doing. And I think that we need to be intentional about what we're taking off the plate because teachers don't need more on their plate. I recently read a little excerpt that talked about U.S. history classes, that the hours that we teach history have not increased within the day, but yet we've had decades and decades added on and it's not proportionate. So we at some point have to let some stuff go. And I think a great starting spot is asking that grade level. I think it's looking at that vertical alignment of the power standards, what leads into the next grade level, but what's the big dog, right? For third grade, what is it for fourth grade? What do they have to have mastered because they build on it next? Those are imperative conversations. And, you know, I think it's definitely something to look at too, if they're transitioning out of your building, right? If you have pre-K coming in, how are you having those conversations with those pre-K families as you're getting them ready for kindergarten? So they're ready and supported. Or also if you're sending kids off to middle school, right? Like what kids need what support? And I think that many times at the end of the year, we fill out sheet after sheet of information on kids. And I don't know if it's ever looked at. And, you know, as a past middle school principal, I wanted that information. So I was able to be so proactive and just be ready to help support kids the moment they walked in the door or heck even before they got there. So those are things that I'm thinking about. And I know that it takes time and it seems like time is not something that we have a lot of right now, but these are the pieces that I think we have to be very intentional about in order to set up next year to be as smooth as possible. Yeah. I like what you said about those foundational skills. I, I kind of think about running a marathon. You and I both uh, run marathons. I actually just signed up for a marathon in December. It'll be my, it'll be my 31st marathon of my life. And I know that my life is busier and I'm not in quote unquote marathon shape. And it's only April. I have till December. I'm not worried about it, but there are some foundational things that I know I'm going to need to do in order to get ready for that marathon. And here's an example at, at my school, we've had small groups of kids back on campus with intervention. And I've been working with some of those groups as the principal, I'm, I'm still a teacher. And one of our students, I quickly realized doing math, like did not know her multiplication tables, you know, and we really worked on those and I got flashcards and, and I said, Hey, this is something that's very foundational. And somewhere along the way, it got, they got missed or, you know, whatever, whatever happened in, in this child's uh, educational experience. But that is something that is foundational five minutes a day, the reading piece, um, I really like the project-based learning ideas and principals and teachers, if you don't know where to start, go to Edutopia, type in project-based learning, go to Twitter, type in hashtag PBL, project-based learning, and look to see what other educators are doing around the country for now, also this summer, and also leading into leading into next year. So maybe it's a hybrid summer program that you're going to offer because that just works. So you can actually get more kids into your building for less time, but you get more face time. And then there's some at-home component. I, I don't know. Um, every problem has a solution. And I really do feel that um, it needs to be looked at. And that, and that articulation piece that we, that we both talked about, it's, uh, it's just super, super duper important. Um, yeah, because we know for one, it doesn't work when you try to cover a million standards and you just try to cram it down their throat. We yeah. also know drill and kill isn't an effective practice. And we also know that we're dealing with some different health and safety restrictions, right? With proximity, three feet of space, you know, just all these different aspects. You know, Oregon has a ton of money coming out for summer enrichment and summer school experiences to quote, catch up. But I'm proud of the Oregon Department of Ed because they got rid of um, learning loss. And you know what? They used a term that we talked about in the IPC 
unfinished learning, which I was like fist pump in the air. Like they must've been listening to us when we were talking, I'm sure of it, but who knows? Um, so I'm excited about the opportunities. You know, I think we're going to definitely look for some integrated approaches. We're still going to have some heavy focus areas on reading math and writing, but really incorporating that science and social studies aspect into it. But there's so many different ways that you can integrate the two to three together and really make it powerful learning. So kids are wanting to come, it's engaging. It's not sitting in front of a computer because let's be honest, who wants to show up for that? I don't want to oh, show up for that. I don't, I don't want to show up for that. So I have a question. Um, I'm thinking about next year and I'm thinking about my focus and my theme as a principal and every state's in a little bit different situation, but you know, with the vaccine basically coming online for everybody, I you know, is there going to be an option for distance learning? Some places won't offer distance learning. It's, hey, come back. Um, and that will probably be as close to normal as we know it as educators. What are you thinking about as you plan and identify focus or a theme or, or, uh, or as you build culture and communicate with families? What's, what's on your mind, Rachel? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this is my favorite thing to do in the springtime with staff. And it starts right about now, you know, we have a lot of different surveys and discussion conversations we have during early release or professional development time of where, what worked really well this school year, what are some successes, what are some things that we want to work on? And we start with the survey to just get some baseline data. We present the data back to the staff and we have some really in-depth conversations about Okay, mission, vision, growing all students, academics, attitude, and attendance, not changing, right? We're not wavering with our direction, but how we get there and how we support and kind of what angle we want to take, like that's definitely customizable. And so I always like to ask for input, ask for ideas. You know, this year it was um, tough times don't last tough bobcats do because we're, we're the bobcats. And that was something that staff came up with and it, they felt like it really resonated with the focus and the current times we were in. And it was woven throughout all of our conversations with kids and our professional development. So I don't know, staff, staff input, I think is, is pretty imperative. I think when we just own it from the building leader aspect, we're isolating a lot of folks and not, not getting buy-in. Yeah, I love that that buy-in. I was talking to a principal the other day in Virginia, and I said, you know, how do you, I said, how do you roll something out to your staff? And she said, well, I go to my leadership team first, and then if the leadership team is not ready based on the feedback and the idea and the rollout plan, then I don't do it because it's not going to be, it's not going to be embraced with fidelity. It's not going to be implemented with energy and and mojo. And I I think thinking and talking about that culture and that focus right now is super duper important, but it's got to be a collective conversation. It's got to be a collective decision and implementation plan, because when you ask your people what they think and their ideas, and then, hey, how should this look? They're going to own it so much more. And, uh, and it's been a a year like no other year. And you think you know what your people need, but have you really asked them? And it's, and like you said, it's the survey to the community. Have we really listened and asked? Because even though you're communicating and listening, maybe people are not being a hundred percent transparent with how they're feeling because it's been the year it's been 2020. So I think, um, 
planning the strategies and the focus as we always would is a mistake. We have to take some of those characteristics, step back, ask different questions, sleep on it, sleep on it, sleep on it, ask more questions, have more interviews, and then and then move forward because um, I just think that's an important, it's too important to kick off the 21-22 school year to not be as inclusive of everybody as you can. Agreed. And I think from a leader perspective, we also need to check ourselves. Sometimes when we sit in those conversations, our our mama bear might come out or hackles come up a little bit. We get a little defensive because there's been a lot of blood, sweat, tears, stress in this year, just like there has been for teachers. And sometimes when we receive that feedback, we become a little defensive, right? We want to defend the project that we thought was really great because we spearheaded it and by golly, nobody helped. And I lifted it all on my own. And that's not a good position to begin when you're having those conversations. So I'd encourage folks to just have a deep breath handy, lots of them, uh, a good night's sleep the night before, because when you're stressed running on fumes, you tend to react in ways that maybe you're not proud of after the fact, just speaking from some experience. So be ready to listen and not be defensive and open, open your ears, open your heart. And I'd encourage you to really try to see where their heart is and where they're coming from too, because I don't think anybody ever wakes up in the morning wanting to, to not be nice or to hurt somebody's feelings. And if they are hurting someone's feelings, there's usually a reason why, right? So look into that instead of just taking it at surface level. So um, something that was not on our schedule to talk about, but I want to get your advice on or your ideas is something that I've been thinking about a lot is sustainable leadership. And it goes along with the theme of 2020, but it's really important all the time. What are you thinking about with building, being a sustainable leader and being happy and healthy and uh, being a hard worker and not a workaholic and distributing the leadership and distributing the, the decision-making. I've talked to so many principals and seen so many social media posts of like, I'm exhausted because it's been a year. What advice, what thoughts, what are you doing, Rachel? You've, you've had a year as well, personally, uh, just being a, being a good friend of mine. I, I know things about you personally. Uh, what are you, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And what advice would you tell other leaders to be a sustainable leader? So they don't get burned out, stressed out, frustrated, sick, leave the profession. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. So, so correct me or like hop in if I have. So my mom was an elementary principal. Did I tell you this story? Um, so elementary principal workaholic, like, and I'm definitely like a workaholic and have always had to just keep it in check. Um, by the time she got to retirement age, she probably had a surgery a year, like things were just breaking on her going bonkers. And so she slid into retirement kind of broken, not ready to rock her best life or go have adventures. And it was during a year where I was teaching because our class sizes were so large. So an elementary principal without any support in the office, a counselor that comes in every other day for just limited time. And I was having to teach two hours. I was teaching a writing rotation because we were just slammed. Our class sizes were like 35 and granted I wasn't directed to do it, but it, it was the right thing to do to help teachers. And it about killed me. 
um, I, I pretty much close to cracking. Um, and it was at that time where after watching my mom go through what she did, I realized like I was on a path to have that same thing happen to me. And I was only probably about mid thirties at the time. And I had the epiphany while I was skiing up at Timberline one weekend. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to set some boundaries. I need to start taking care of my health. I actually write about it a little bit in principled under the balance section where John had a really blunt conversation with me after work one day. And he's like, you need to start working. Like you are not happy. You are not in a good spot. And at first I was like, what am I looking fat? Which I, I think I was, <laughs> but that's beside the point. Um, but it was coming from a mental health aspect. And so it's been a big, big priority for me over the years. I work really hard to turn it off when I leave. And, you know, as I've shifted to different positions or different buildings over the years, it's a conversation I have explicitly with staff. Like, and I now realize the impact I had as a building principal on teachers when I was emailing them in the evening, when I was emailing them on San Saturday or Sunday, trying to catch up, like I stressed them out. I didn't realize that implication. So I try to move my body every day. I love running so much. I love being outside. I live up on the mountain and I have lots of trees and trails around and I make it, I make it a priority. I try not to work on the weekends. You know, I, I keep an eye on stuff, but someone else's emergency isn't my emergency and bailing them out and fixing it right away is not going to always help the situation. Now, maybe if a lawyer was involved, that might be a little bit of a different story, you know, with a family, but I think we need to put some healthy boundaries on ourselves and not be embarrassed to state it, be transparent and explain how we function. That's me. I don't know. What about you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes to all of that. I, I didn't know that about your mom and you know, it's unfortunate that she had to go through those health situations and then kind of see the other side of it. But that happens a lot. And I think it perpetuates when we have colleagues that act like that or supervisors that act like that or expect that. I was talking to one of my son's uh, friends. They, um, He's an American. She's actually from Japan. They met in Japan. They live here. And we talked about the culture in Japan. And they said, you don't leave until the CEO leaves. Like you could be in the mail room until eight o'clock at night because the CEO is still working. And I know that there's a different culture everywhere you go, but that's just so unhealthy. It doesn't do anybody any good. We in my district where I am, we actually have two weeks for spring break. So I'm on the second week of my spring break and I haven't checked my email in, oh, like, 10 or 11 days. It's turned off on my phone and my other Google Chrome tab with my work life has been minimized and I haven't checked it in 10 days. And I'll tell you what, I talked to my superintendent once because we had something come up. He called me because when something does come up to your point, your people will call you or they'll text message you, please call me. And in relation to my question about sustainable leadership, my mindset and my mantra, which I've had for a decade, is my goal is to do as little as possible in my job. And I know that comes, it can come off like, who's this slacker? But what I interpret that as is, is I, I do, I want to do as little as possible. I want to do the work and I take the job very seriously. And principals that are listening, take the work seriously. I know that you do, but don't take yourself too seriously. And 
always ask the question, why am I doing this? Can somebody else do this or should nobody be doing this? Because I'll tell you, I've been in so many schools, hundreds and hundreds of schools across the country. And I'll ask questions like, why do you do that? And people cannot explain or have a good reason or an answer to why they do that. When I was in high school, there was a program where they brought a former gang member to our high school to talk. And uh, I don't remember where the gang was or what the gang was. It doesn't, doesn't matter. And he said, you know, I grew up in this. And one day I asked my fellow gang member, and the kid was like 15, why do we hate them so bad? And his fellow gang member who was much older said, I don't know. We just do. There was no basis. And this former gang member who was talking to us, he's like, at that point, I realized this wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it was. And the point in me telling that story is ask questions, really decipher, should you be doing this? Should somebody else be doing this? Or should nobody be doing this? And I think that's, that is the first step in becoming a sustainable leader, doing as little as possible, but more importantly, remaining healthy remaining happy, remaining balanced, if that is what you are striving for, and really empowering your people around you. Because when people feel like they are contributing, they're going to be happier employees, they're going to come up with more ideas on their own, because they do feel like they have the brain capacity and the time to do so. No, completely agree. You made me think of um, my superintendent while you were talking. So when he first took over, he actually asked everybody, write down a list of everything that you can stop doing right now that has a zero impact on what our vision and mission is as a district. And, you know, thinking about planning for next year and input and building that culture for your staff, that's an, that's an awesome starting spot. What is it that we don't need to do anymore? Because education has shifted. There's a lot that we can just straight out stop. So good food for thought. And then also I'd say it's been super helpful having my boss support people taking time off. He's actually been really, really vocal of like, if you're here until eight o'clock, you're not effective. If you're working on the weekends, you're not effective with your time. Look at your time, analyze how you're spending it. And you need to reshuffle stuff, delegate, take things off your plate or realign and you know, when you do that and you're conscientious about it and you kind of spring clean that list, maybe it's time to spring clean your list, right? Let's get some stuff off of it. Good food for thought. Thank you everyone for joining. We know your time is valuable and your time is precious. And thank you for giving us your ears for a few minutes. Rachel and I appreciate you very much. And if you haven't signed up for the NAESP conference this summer in Chicago, it is the 7th through the 10th NAESP.org. It's happening. It's on. It's the 100th anniversary of NAESP. It is going to be awesome. I'm going to be there. Rachel's going to be there. Sign up. Let's hang out. Don't miss out. Have an amazing day. The NAESP Principal Podcast is sponsored by the National Association of Elementary School Principals, supporting our nation's leaders from preschool through eighth grade. Andy Jacks here, Senior Fellow for NAESP Centers for Advancing Leadership. Whether you are looking to develop your professional learning network, extra liability coverage at a fraction of the cost, or you want to level up your professional development, NAESP has you covered. We'll